And welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And sometimes just the trash of genre cinema. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hmm. um, today we are talking it's a sad day. <laughs> about... Well, today we're delving back into the Hellraiser franchise. Yes. So if any listeners remember, we have discussed... Hellraiser 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. No. No? No, we're discussing 5 today. Ooh. Oh, we did 3 and 4 together. 3 and 4 together, we? yeah. Oh, they don't number them after a while, which is very <laughs> confusing, but okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we are continuing our journey through this uh, franchise. Yes. Uh, franchise famous for its bad sequels, and whilst we slightly delved into them last time, because, you know, free, there's, there's stuff to be enjoyed with free. Uh, we had our first real taste with Bloodline, but now we're, we're going all in today. We are deep into the uh, later part of the franchise. Starting with Hellraiser Inferno. From 2000. Now, I say it's terrible or whatever. I think this one is passable at the very least. I don't. <laughs> Written and directed in a bizarre series of events by Scott Derrickson, uh, who, of course, directed The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Day the Earth Stood Still remake, Deliver Us from Evil, and Sinister, Doctor Strange, and The Black Phone. How on earth did he end up with, with this? First film. Our first film. And he miraculously had a career after. Yeah, strangely enough. Um, there were reports that this film originally began as a non-Howraise-related horror script owned by Dimension uh, and was edited to insert Pinhead and the Cenobites after. But apparently, to uh, Scott Derrickson, it's incorrect. It was pitched as a Howraiser sequel and completed as such. Doc Bradley says otherwise. Who do we, who do we believe? I don't understand why... Scott Derrickson wouldn't say, oh yeah, I had a much better script, but they made me <laughs> put Pinhead into it. Yeah. Um, which is very confusing, because at least it'd be an excuse mm -hmm. for this mess. Yeah. And how messy it is. Um, as a thriller, crime, procedural, it doesn't work. As a Hellraiser film, it doesn't work. So I don't know who to believe, because it does genuinely feel like... Pinhead's just inserted into the film mm. for shits and giggles. Yeah. Or to get Hellraiser in the title. So people will, I'd say, go to the cinema to watch it. It was straight, straight to video. To video. Straight to video. Uh, people would pick up the VHS. Or, or was it DVD at this point? A VHS and DVD this was released on. Mm. I mean, I, I can't say I wasn't oddly engaged. I enjoyed it more the first time I watched it. enjoyed it less this time. Um, but... Yeah, it's definitely not a Hellraiser film. There's definitely Hellraiser added into it after. And the case with both of these films, it is more like something Clive Barker would create. It is more similar to a Clive Barker novel and its tones and such. Um, but I'm not sure if that's what the filmmakers are going for. I kind of feel like they're going more for Twin Peaks. There's seven. Seven. I was definitely getting seven um, from it. It was, I mean, four years before Saw. Yeah. Um, and Saw is very akin to, to Seven. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it, you get this with horror, don't you? 
you know, one film does really well and then you get copycats afterwards, you get um, familiar faces and familiar franchises mm -hmm. trying to cash in on it, you know, the double whammy of being like Seven and also including Pinhead, that sounds interesting on paper. In yeah. practice, not so great. And why the fuck is it called Inferno? I have no I, I'm idea. Not sure. No idea. Um, Co-written by Paul Harris Boardman, who also wrote Urban Legends: Final Cut, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Devil's Not, Deliver Us from Evil, and an episode of Archive Eighty One. Right. And based on characters created by Clive Barker, who, of course, we all know as the gay horror legend. Behind the original Hellraiser, Candyman, Rawhead Rex, Nightbreed, Lord of Illusions, Midnight Meat Train, Books of Blood, and so many more. Um, I mean, at least Clive Barker got a payday. Yeah, Go yeah. Clive Barker. Good, good, good for him. And Doug Bradley. It, it, this is a franchise that I didn't realise went on for as long as it did until I met you. Yeah. I knew there was a three... I didn't realise there were all these other ones, and I didn't realise it went into the 2000s as well. Yeah. Um, maybe it shouldn't have gone into no. the 2000s. No, it shouldn't have. <laughs> it, it, it should have ended at three. Um, budget... Should have ended at two. Let's <laughs> be fair. Budget of $2 million. Uh, the special mm. effects took up uh, 50000 of that. Did it? Yeah. Uh, and it's straight to video. Straight to video. Should we dive into the cast? Let's delve into the cast with, hey, I know you. I was expecting you to do it in a pinhead voice. I can't do a pinhead <laughs> voice. I can't do impressions. Craig Sheffer. We do know Craig Sheffer. We certainly uh, do. He plays Joseph. He plays the hell out of Joseph. He, he really wanted to put some effort into that role. Not I, too much effort. Yeah, I feel a little sorry for Craig Sheffer because he did, spoiler alert for what you're just about to say, mm. he did Nightbreed. He, he did. Previous podcast film. Like previous me. podcast film. Clive Barker. Yeah. And he probably thought, oh, Hellraiser. Clive Barker. I did a Clive yeah. Barker film. That went really well. Mm -hmm. I'll do Hellraiser. Mm. Not quite so well this time. Yeah. Also star of Some Kind of Wonderful, A uh, River Runs Through It, The Program, Voyage of the Rock Aliens. You may recall him with his uh, Panthers in that film. Yes. That was then. This is now. Fire in the Sky, Dracula 2, Ascension, as in the follow-up to Dracula 2000. Oh. Uh, and many more. Yeah, good old Craig Sheffield. He's, he's alright. I enjoyed... I've enjoyed, apart from this, his performances in all his films, really, yeah. that we've seen. Uh -huh. He's alright. I think he, he was one of these sort of 80s heartthrobs that didn't quite make it yeah. to the A-list. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Turturro plays Tony. He was in Do The Right Thing, Black Klansman, Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues, The Longest Yard, NYPD Blue, Excess Baggage, Pups Alone, A Christmas Peril, Pizza and Wine, aka Four Cousins and a Christmas, and more. Yeah, it's a real shame. Um, Do The Right Thing is one of my favourite films. Um, he is atrocious in this, he I is. have to say. He is really, really bad. <laughs> Really bad. It's such a shame. I'm glad it didn't ruin his career and he still got Black Klansman uh, after this. I think, obviously, and he's his... got a long um, history with Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming Black Klansman was after 
Paul Paul's Christmas, whatever. Uh, I assume so. <laughs> and I'll have you know, it's Pop Salona Christmas Peril Excuse and me. Pizza and Wine, aka Four Cousins and a Christmas. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I was mixing up my Christmas films there. I do apologise. James Ramar plays Dr. Gregory. He was in Grey's Anatomy, Sex and the City, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Django and Chain, The Girl Next Door, What Lies Beneath, classic, Pineapple Express, Cruising. Blade Trinity, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and more. Yeah, so he was Samantha's on and off boyfriend, Richard, in Sex mm -hmm. and the City, if anyone remembers. And he was also the random roommate in Very Short Shorts that Al Pacino beats up in Cruising. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, uh, this franchise seems to attract Sex and the City stars. It's, it's uh, true. Stars of random TV shows from the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, yeah, I, I can never imagine why. Well, I suppose in the 80s into the 90s, it was Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. So then it's Sex and the City. Uh, and finally, Doug Bradley. <laughs> Doug Bradley's in this, briefly, uh, as Pinhead. It, of course, he's in most of the Howrays of franchise because he needed money. Nightbreed, The Bill, Wrong Turn 5, Inspector Morse, Doctors, An Ideal Husband, The Cottage... Which starred um, the one who did the Transvision Vamp cover from Brookside. I swear it did. Oh. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Ellison. Ellison. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I just remember her saying cunt and fuck a lot in the oh film. Oh my lord. Uh, Pumpkinhead, Ashes to Ashes, Book of Blood, Jack Falls and more. I didn't expect Doug Bradley to have been in so many British dramas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, I suppose he has to get some work out of... Uh... Can't wait for him to Outside show up in EastEnders. Yeah, could could do actually. Doug Bradley, I mean, he's an he's an icon um, for the Hellraiser films and his portrayal of Pinhead. He's just fantastic in you know all of these. He's the only thing that you can guarantee to at least be at the very least good in in any of these films. Um, but it does make me laugh that he literally shows up, goes through all the makeup and everything, just for like five minutes of screen time. Yeah. He must have filmed it all in one day. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know why he kept going back. Evident, it must have been good pay. Um, yeah, I suppose it pays better than a random episode of Doctors. I was disappointed when going through his filmography. Obviously, you know, as I said, he's known as a horror icon for this role. Um... I was expecting to see him in more Fear horror films. I, I mean, yeah, I suppose so. I'm not getting the roles because of typecasting. Mm. I suppose they're the perils, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's nice that he's had nice things to say about the upcoming reboot and yes. female pinhead. He's fully supportive of that. Um, which should be very good. I should definitely be better than than this shit we're about to discuss Absolutely. today. It's time for us. Uh, it's not. I've got one. Got no. one extra. Hey, I know. Oh, you. okay. Um, Who is it? It's Catherine Houston as mother. 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 Oh, is his mum? His mum. Yeah. And she played Karen McCluskey in Desperate Housewives. Oh, okay. Uh, legendary Karen McCluskey in Desperate Housewives. If you're not a Desperate Housewives fan, it doesn't mean anything. It's just probably why you didn't pick it up. Um, but yeah, nosy neighbour to the extreme, the original Karen, Karen McCluskey. And, and here Legend. she is, here she is, with no eyes, trying to kill her son. Absolutely. <laughs> now it's time for our first feature presentation. Oh. 
all hell is about to break loose again. This time, a battle between good and evil has a familiar face. Welcome to hell. Hellraiser Inferno. No! Um, I, I just have to say that that TV spot that we just played um, has some of the most enthusiastic music for a tv spot ever um for a very downbeat film we start with uh joseph fawn who is a corrupt denver police detective who regularly indulges in drug use and infidelity during the course of duty <gasps> we're introduced to him playing chess whilst people play basketball in the background <laughs> absolutely no sense he's in the middle of a gymnasium there are people playing basketball in the background He's playing chess against some random dude. <laughs> who we never see again. Who we never see again. He answers the, his mobile, big stonking mobile phone in the middle of it. Said Says something, I have no idea. Uh, he wins the game. And then he changes in the locker room afterwards. <laughs> Intense game of chess. Intense game of chess. Like, why does he need to use the locker room when he was only <laughs> playing chess? I mean... How sweaty can you get playing chess? Um, he also sniffs what I wrote down is a bottle of poppers. Um, I'm not really... I don't really understand what he keeps sniffing throughout the film. It, I mean, it's giving it does, poppers. It does look like poppers. I hope it is. Yeah. Yeah, he's just having poppers. Um, in a strange choice, um, he gives us a film noir voiceover throughout the film. Yeah, this this film is technically a neo noir, uh, which is so strange to say about a Hellraiser film. Yeah. Um, each time he does one of these voiceovers, he's just chatting shit. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um. Yeah, it's. But well, this oh, is did first you one. like the choice? I. Kind of. Did I, it make any sense? I did. I did when it was first used, but then when it became really inconsistent and it felt like it was only being thrown in at the most convenient times, mm. uh, then no, it just became a bit lazy then and yeah, a bit forced. I found this was one of the... Because I, I fully believe um, that the world is flat. No, I don't. Um, I fully believe that this wasn't intended to be a Hellraiser film yeah. when it was first Yeah, written. no, I agree. I fully believe that. And this is one of the indicators for me. Yeah. Because you, you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do no. that. Who would... Why would you have that in a Hellraiser film? A straight-up Hellraiser film? If you were doing a neo-noir detective thriller, mm. then you would do that as yeah. a reference to noir's past. Yeah. You know? This first one, he's talking about how when he was a kid, he always loved solving puzzles, uh, which is very convenient given Ooh. the premise of this franchise. Hence the chess game. Uh, him and his partner Tony attend the scene of what appears to be a ritual murder of Jay Chow. Someone he bullied at school because he tried out for the basketball team. It's like immediately, it's like, okay, right. So we're not meant to like this guy. Yeah. And he also <laughs> forgets Tony's name. He does. He does. Um, and Tony makes a big deal. He says, well, we've been partners for months and months and yeah. months now and you're forgetting my Thank name. Thank you, exposition. So, yeah, he's a straight up douchebag. So we yeah. get that from the very beginning. 
Um, yeah. He does say about uh, the guy he bullied, we gave him hell. Yeah, of course. Which, there of we course. are. That was there dubbed in are. after I decided it was going to be a Hellraiser film. Um, this is where I first point out in my notes that uh, this bitch is mumbo Oh my god, he does. He, for someone who's so over-enthusiastic with his physical actions in the film... He mumbles his way oh through this film. God. And our Blu-ray didn't have subtitles, so... Oh, is that a Blu-ray? Yeah. Oh, Blu-ray. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, no subtitles, because Lord forbid you make films accessible for everyone. Um, that fucking pisses... Really fucking pisses... Do you know what? If, if your only extras are chapter selections and a photo gallery... You don't even know Okay, that. fine. That's, you know, whatever. But to not have subtitles... It's just, it's fucking shitty. I fucking hate it. Um, especially when this bitch is mumbling throughout the whole film. And then every so often he'll shout something. I'm like, oh, fucking hell. Um, so there's so much dialogue I didn't get. Mm. So much. I don't think it was necessary because what I did get, he was just chatting shit. Um, but yeah. So forgive me if I, if you've watched the film and you, you know it word for word and I fuck up. I had no idea what he was talking about half the time. Um, Joseph finds a lament configuration candle holder yeah. available on Etsy <laughs> uh, with a child's finger inside the candle. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, we This is revealed when he says it's a child's finger with a very dramatic zoom. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I did enjoy that. He... Um... He takes the candle off it, which is, you know, you're completely misusing it there. It's it's a multi-purpose lament configuration. Just use it for a candle holder. Um, yeah, yeah, but now, right. now he's uh, he's ruined it. He's took the candle off it and he takes it home uh, so he can indulge in his puzzle fascination. In a bizarre series of events, when he gets home, he gets some really weird saxophone music that sounds like the music you hear when uh, you're on hold, when, when you're calling up Sky. Oh, to yeah. check when the broadband's gone down. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like it's trying to go with uh, Fire Walk With Me soundtrack, but it, it's nothing oh, of the sort. It's, uh, it sounds terrible. Um, he rubs his face against his daughter's face in slow motion. Um, and upside down. And upside down. upside down. Like, what are you doing? Because he's trying to be Twin Peaks. Uh, and his wife asks if he's staying home tonight. He's like, nope. And then uh, goes out to get a prostitute and a motel room. Yeah, um... The prostitute is serving caveman realness. I think she's slaying. She has her ensemble. Furry vest and thigh-high red boots. Yeah. It's it's a look. I really like it. We then, as a precursor to the room, get some crappy low-key R&B playing <laughs> as they shag in a very bright white light. Well, I have my, my favourite sentence I've ever wrote in my oh. notes before. Um <laughs> I just have it. He teases her with chewing gum for a bit. They do cocaine, have weirdly edited sex, and then he solves the lament configuration on the toilet. He does. <laughs> All without taking a stitch of clothing off, apart from unbuttoning his shirt. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, after playing with his lament configuration, uh, Joseph wakes up. And uh, oh no, he doesn't. Oh, he does. He wakes, no, he up, he wakes up and there's a very pale blue light yeah. in a child's bedroom. I should remember this because it happens twenty fucking times in the film. <laughs> um, this is where I question what the lighting in this film is doing. 
um, this bitch thinks he's Argento. <laughs> or Lynch, David Lynch. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in the hallway, he's visited by two lady Cenobites. The, now, talking of slaying, they have pigtails, a kinky leather outfit, and no eyes. Um, they're absolutely slaying it. They are the Cenobite cheeky girls. <laughs> um, they try it on with him. They say, you know, touch my bum. This is life. <laughs> and they stick here, their hands under his skin. Yeah. And smear him with the blood. It's quite a good effect. I, I think this is great imagery. Great. I, yeah. I, this is what I mean. This is I wish there was more of this Yeah. Stuff. It really captures that Clive Barker feeling. This is yeah, absolutely. more than the next one. Does and the anyway. effect's quite good as well. Yeah. You know? Um, Joseph tries to leave, but he's greeted by Pinhead himself. Well, he's not. First of all, he's no. greeted by half of Chatterer. Oh, is that what that was? Couldn't afford his full body. Um, um but the guy, yeah, half of him climbing upstairs. Oh, with the two arms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then finally Pinhead, who rips his face off. Yeah. And then he wakes up in the motel bathroom. He does. Next scene starts with uh, some great dialogue. The coroner in the police station is like, Morning, detective! You look like you could do with an autopsy yourself! Yeah, very rude. <laughs> very rude. I just got blah 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 at the police station, where Joseph looks like a bag of shit, and no one is afraid to tell him. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from... Oh, no, no, you're absolutely right. No one is afraid to tell him. Um, the coroner also tells him that the finger found at the crime scene belonged to a seven-year-old child... And because the child was seven years old, you can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. I'm not sure how that works. I don't okay. know. I've, I never watched CSI. So. Um, the prostitute Joseph was with calls him at work and uh, is murdered whilst he's on the phone to her. So he goes back to the motel with Tony and uh, finds her corpse hanging up from the shower along with another of the child's fingers. Yeah. Um... Why has no one from the motel been to clean the room? No, <laughs> just can't be asked. Just can't be asked. Because he's been here, there and everywhere in between. He has, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not very good at all, is it? No. Um, he makes a <laughs> They even managed to, like, get rid of the body and shit yeah. without anyone noticing. Well, he makes a connection between the murder uh, and a killer known as the Engineer, <gasps> who was suspected of having kidnapped a child. Now, in the books, uh, and even in the first film, the Engineer is a creature uh, with no eyes and a gigantic mouth with horrible teeth and whatnot. You know, a real Clive Barker-type Cenobite that you'd expect to see. Um... You may recall it chased Kirsty through a hospital in uh, the first film. Yeah. When she figured out what was going on. Uh, in this film, it's just... I mean, I, I'm not going to spoil it now. You know, I'm going to keep you eager, keep you listening. Um, but for the most part, it's just presented as uh, a Cenobite with a leather jacket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Um, very, very disappointing. If they're going to use the character, they should have used the actual character. Um, Joseph goes to speak to a tattoo artist to question him about the Why? Engineer. I didn't get why he did that. They did I... some sort of search yeah. on the database and he says, try people with piercings and it got a match, <laughs> which I, I didn't understand because it was the fingerprint, but I didn't understand where the fingerprint came from if it wasn't, it was matching a seven-year-old. I don't, I don't From this point on, we get a lot of um, the, the engineer being mentioned. Uh, yeah. If you take a drink every time, they mention the engineer, you'd be fucking hammered. Uh, and also, we get a lot of <laughs> Joseph going to places and randomly shouting in people's faces. Absolutely. So he goes and he starts off calm and he's like, you fucking piece of shit, where's the engineer? 
Um, and the tattoo guy's like, oh, the engineer wants his money or the box back. I'm not getting involved. Um, and then Joseph hallucinates and sees a tattoo of the twin Cenobites, uh, the Cheeky Girls Cenobites, cheeky, on, cheeky. Uh, on the tattoo artist's back. Uh, they come to life. He slams the tattoo artist against a wall, uh, and then it's replaced with a hand with a nail going through it. Yeah. Very exciting. In a bizarre series of events, he then buys drugs from an ice cream man, um, who absolutely should have been played by Clint Howard, and uh, and questions him who the dead prostitute... What to make up for the actual ice cream yeah. man movie that was awful. He questions him who the dead prostitute works for, and if her boss works for the engineer... Um, the ice cream man's like, oh, well, I'm not sure. Oh, you fucking tell me. Who the fuck does he fucking work for, you twat? It's like, okay, why are you shouting at everyone? Like, what is wrong with you? Because he's an intense detective. <laughs> uh, yeah, he smacks him around for a bit. And uh, we get a flashback of a decapitated head in a bed. We do, yeah. I have absolutely no idea whatsoever... It's a guy called what, Terry. How this plays into the film. Yeah, some guy called Terry went home to find his wife's decapitated head um, that the engineer left for him. Uh, and whilst we get all this exposition, um, aside from when we're on flashback, we just see the ice cream man sitting in front of loads of cutouts from Dirty Mags. Um, oh, yeah. With some random logos for the Rugrats in the background as well. Yeah, like scribbled, <laughs> scribbled out Rugrats sticker. Um, yeah, they're from porn magazines, but... Um, the real racy stuff is covered, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> Joseph goes to a restaurant and tries convincing Tony to cover for him uh, with the Motel incident. He tries asking him to place his fingerprints around and say uh, that he didn't know what was going on because he was so shocked by finding the body. Um, I mean, why couldn't he say that about himself? Well, what he does is he threatens Tony with... Um, him being accused of the murders because Tony hasn't been with the force as long and uh, he doesn't bring up the uh, the uh, ethnicity issue. But no. I think it's, it's insinuated mm -hmm. that they would believe um, uh, Joseph over Tony. So many fucking stupid <laughs> names. Well, Tony's fuming and he walks out uh, as a child walks in and hands Joseph a videotape that he puts on yeah, in the, the bar. Who is this child? Yeah. So, I mean, again, this is more of the Twin Peaks ripoff stuff. Like, this random child gives him this videotape. Um, he puts it on the bar for everyone to see. Yeah. And the TV uh, behind the bar, he just slips uh, the videotape it, in. It's the engineer uh, murdering the ice cream man. Yeah. But that's not obvious, though, is it? From the... Or is it, it or is, is once, it, or I just missed it? Once the reveal is made, um, because he licks the child's finger, and another one of those is left behind, puts it in a cash register, uh, and then reveals the ice cream man sitting down with his back. Oh, yes, of course. So then Joseph tries to play the videotape at the police station, but it's not working. Um, seemingly it's been wiped, and so everyone thinks that he's lost the plot. Yeah. Um, ironically, I've also lost the plot. <laughs> quite literally, the plot of this film. <laughs> because then Joseph is sent to a therapist, Dr. Gregory, James uh, Remar. Mm -hmm. Rem Remar? Yeah. Remar? Um, they just talk shit about kids. I've got kids. Oh, I've got kids. Um, apparently, the therapist is also a 
priest as well. <laughs> um, something like that. We then get a voiceover as he checks the police database. Um, the voiceover is him talking shit about children being the only worthwhile thing in life. <laughs> and him saving this child will be the most important thing he has ever done. Oh, straight people. Uh, <laughs> we ain't got time for me to get into that logic. But I do understand that saving the life of a child is the most important thing for him to do. You know, if he believes there's a child in danger and such. I don't quite believe in the having children is the most important thing <laughs> ever. But, you know, let's not get into that for fear of um, causing a ruffle. <laughs> <laughs> um, the murder in the videotape is revealed to be the ice cream van drug dealer. Yeah. Revealed to me, at least, because I missed that part where it was revealed in the video. Uh, and Joseph knows there's a finger in the cash register, but no one really questions it. Considering they haven't personally seen the videotape. Well, Tony does very briefly, but he's convinced otherwise quickly by uh, by Wasn't Joseph. it later on that he brings that up? Yeah, but even like, then just... How did you know? But even briefly, then he gives him a look, but Joseph's like, oh, I, I told you, it's, it's the fucking videotape. Um, in a bizarre series of events, after a very melodramatic conversation about what the engineer wants whilst driving, Joseph and Tony go to a Western bar where everyone is dressed like cowboys. Um, this is the most Twin Peaksy this, this, this is, whole thing gets. This is. Uh, the main cowboy comes to talk to Joseph, uh, and he starts being all angry and and, and accuses him of being the engineer because classic Joseph. Um, he, he tell the cowboy tells him he's playing the engineer's game, and Joseph spots uh, the engineer Cenobite again. This time with a fancy cowboy hat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, he then. Chases him out into the woods, spots the other Cenobites, and falls down a hill. And then, I shit you not, in a bizarre series of events, two camp cowboys arrive in the woods and kick the fucking shit out of Joseph, uh, followed by the main cowboy arriving and leaving a gun on the ground. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck's that all about? <laughs> no idea. It's probably the most exciting scene in the film. Mainly for the martial artist cowboys. <laughs> but I still have absolutely no idea. It's what like, it was. even the end of the film, I have no idea. It's like the martial arts scene in pieces. It's just completely out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I, I don't get. <laughs> it's not played for laughs. No. It's not. I mean, it's funny, explained. but it's not played for laughs. But the thing is, it's. It, it really feels like they're just trying to go as weird as possible. Um. Yeah, but just with no real purpose mm. behind it. Uh, yeah. Tony finds him and takes him to his therapist. Uh, the therapist provides him with all the exposition he needs about the lament configuration. Uh, and this leads Joseph to go on a rainy drive home whilst providing another narration. That was so boring, I didn't even get it down. No. Um, when he gets home, his daughter looks directly at him and says, Daddy, are you home yet? But, okay, why the f Fuck, are you asking if he's home yet? He's right in front of you. I did find that very strange. No, when will Danny be home? He's right there. He's you right fucking there. idiot. He's right there, you silly bitch. It goes to it's bed. It's also bedtime, so yeah. what difference does it make if he's <laughs> home or not? No, you haven't rubbed your face on me in slow motion yet. <laughs> Joseph goes to bed and is woken up by his wife receiving a call from his mum 
saying that she had a visit from the engineer because we haven't heard that name enough uh, in this film. Joseph shouts for a bit. Um, <laughs> fuck knows what about. Did you get that down? No. No? No, I did get his daughter, as he runs out the house, his daughter says, I just want my daddy. And I'm like, fuck your mum's drag. She's fucking... <laughs> the work that she's had to put into, because he's never fucking there. He's off with some fucking prostitutes, sniffing poppers. <laughs> she's the one that, you know, cooks your food and everything. Cleans yeah. up after you. You know, I just want my daddy. Fuck you. I'd be fuming I mean, if I heard that. He's a slightly better actor than the mother. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he goes to the hospital and the receptionist is like, who the fuck are you? Like, they have no kids. And <laughs> again, there's something that's never brought up until now. The fact that he's had this absent relationship with his parents. That yeah. just comes out of nowhere when it needs to be there. So his father is very ill. Yeah. Um, pretty much on life support, I think. Mm -hmm. And his mother is there constantly to look after, you know, with the dad. And he's been very absent. And so they don't think that he, they had a son because he's never there. Never gets mentioned and is never called up or anything like that. And then suddenly he is. So it is kind of like, so obviously the film, spoiler alert, is a morality tale. And it's about this piece of shit getting his comeuppance, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, that's all well and good. But this is the kind of shit you're meant to set up before you get going. Yeah. This is the kind of, you know, the Scrooge story, which this is essentially kind of a Scrooge mm -hmm. story. You know, the Scrooge story is you set this guy up to be an absolute prick. Then he goes through the shit, learns his lesson. Spoiler alert, there's no lesson to be learnt here. They no. just kill him in the end. Um, but that that's how it's meant to be. Mm -hmm. So we get a mild reference to him bullying someone. He goes to a prostitute behind his wife's back. Um, he's sniffing poppers 24-7. <laughs> he's aggressive and corrupt. We do understand that. And now suddenly he's a bad son. Yeah. Because in one phone call, we've established that he has parents mm -hmm. and a parent that's ill and that he's a shit son. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of crap, you know, we're meant to already know this. Yeah. Because you're meant to say this. It also gives a bigger role for old Karen McCluskey, mm -hmm. bigger payday for her. But uh, no. <laughs> that's another reason why it annoys me. Yeah. He's um he's walking down the hallway in the hospital when he comes across two happy looking nurses. Oh, what a fine looking boy! <laughs> no, they're over old ladies. Are they? Yeah, they're old oh, ladies. Okay. Uh, and old... I'm assuming they're maybe a human version of the Cenobite twins. Oh yeah, because they're very yeah. flirty, aren't they? I think it's them dressed up as old ladies. Uh, an old man goes past him in a wheelchair. His mouth's been pulled open by wires and he has the laugh of a young boy. <laughs> Classic Hellraiser shirt. Joseph finds his dad in a hospital bed and his mum knitting in a rocking chair. He hears his dad, he hears his daughter screaming uh, and leaves the hospital room to enter his old bedroom. He eventually wakes up at home and his wife gets the call again from his mother. So now, uh, you know, we're just... Going back on stuff. Oh, we're into fucking forward. Groundhog Day territory. He goes back to the hospital. The nurse informs him this time that his parents have gone missing. 
So he finds his dad's hospital bed covered in blood with a gift box beside it containing two of the child's fingers with an address on a note. Yes. Um, he then hears his parents screaming for help from the other side of the door. He can't get through and their blood flowing underneath the door. Then we get the it was a dream or a hallucination as he ends up back in bed with his mum. Uh, and his mum. Whoa, mom. hang on a minute. Excuse what fucking me. film is this? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> may have missed Didn't see that plot twist coming. He ends up in his old bedroom again and his mum and dad are killed. On Oh, that's, yeah. That's later on. Um, no, no, that's now. And his mum calls again. Is that twice that happens? I think that's genuinely later on. Is that when his mum attacks him? No, no, no so they killed the first time. Maybe you missed some. Fucking hell, this is hard to follow. Um, Yeah, turns out his parents have disappeared. Oh, I'm going back on myself. You're that's not later, yourself. that's earlier. Yeah. Tony arrives. There we go, thank you. Now, the I, I thoroughly apologise. This is fucking confusing, <laughs> this film. And especially when I lost interest because... <laughs> Well, Tony arrives and tells him the captain wants to see him because they finally realise he's suspicious. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, they notice the connection that they've been looking for is Joseph. He's connected to all of the victims so far. So he has a fight with Tony before driving to the address left for him on the note. He finds a telescope, looks through it and witnesses uh, Lever Daddy uh, murdering Tony. Lever Daddy Cenobite. And uh, he then gets a call from the engineer saying six fingers, six murders. Sounds like a good Saturday night. Six fingers, six murders, Ew. only four fingers left. Yeah, and I was like, oh, fucking hell. I can't take four more fucking murders. He tells him to go home. Um, so he does. He does, yeah. <laughs> go okay. home. So he does. Uh, at home, he finds his wife and daughter on that spinny thing. The block. from The block. Yeah. Um, in freezing cold temperatures. And chains. And chains. They're in um, chains. Dr. Gregory's also there. Uh, and I put the, So I suppose this means Dr. Gregory is the engineer. Um, his wife and daughter CGI fall apart <laughs> because they're frozen. And it's revealed the finger found in Tony's mouth was Joseph's, but as a child's. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. He then, the plot thickens. using CGI, he reveals that he's, in fact, Pinhead. Yes. He transforms into Doug Bradley. Sickening reveal. Um, And Joseph goes back to his old house. He, where Pinhead tells him to go home. He does. Like, so he's like, you're home as a child. Yeah. He, he goes back there, where he's attacked by his parents, who both have no eyes. Uh, he shoots them both. <laughs> he's then attacked by the dead prostitutes and shoots her. Yeah, he does. Tony starts throwing knives at him. He shoots him. Yeah. And the ice cream man starts whipping him. So he shoots him out of a window. He starts doing flips out of the he fucking does. window. He then enters a dark room where he finds himself as a child with his fingers missing, as well as uh, leather jacket Daddy Cenobite, who rips his face off to reveal he's actually adult Joseph. Yes. Pinhead appears and he's like, right, okay. You're in a crisis. I'm on my way. You no. don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm here to give you all the exposition you need, Thank Joseph. God. You have been in the Cenobites realm since opening the box, you silly fool. Where they have, where we've been subjecting you to physical, 
psychological, physiological, psychological torture for the various cruelties you've inflicted on others. The engineer is a manifestation of your own cruelty, whilst the child is the personification of your innocence, <gasps> which you have slowly been killing through corruption, hedonism, and violence. And now you have won a brand new car and a holiday. This is not a game show. No. Sure it was. Um, hooks and uh, chains appear and attach themselves to Joseph's arms, legs, face, hips, legs, hips, body. Vintage uh, as Pinhead. Um, Do you want to try that again? No, it's good. Everyone got what I was going for. Pinhead informs him that uh, he will be subjected to an eternity of torment for his sins. I felt like us when we agreed to do this franchise on the podcast. How bad were his sins? Like, they were bad. <laughs> they were bad. But they weren't, like, the worst of the worst. Well, <laughs> his torture is that he has to relive this film again because he wakes up next to the lament configuration in the motel bedroom Prostitute is still alive. He goes to work, gets the call from her being murdered, shoots himself, wakes up again in the motel bathroom, dun, dun, dun. and walks out and is back in his old childhood bedroom. So literally, he is being tortured by being made to sit through this film again and again and yes. again and again. He's still there now. Has anyone checked on uh, on Craig Schaefer in a while? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's the end of the film. It is. That is completely pointless. Well, to really, yeah. have Pinhead be the I don't I don't get it. I would love to know how much that budget went on Pinhead. I really would because <laughs> that's even less screen time than he has in the next one. It's it's messy. The, I think Deader, yeah, it's literally called Deader. Um, the one that'll be on our next episode we used to cover the Hellraiser franchise at some point in the future. Uh, I I really think that literally has about one minute of Pinhead. Yeah, like one minute maximum it's, it's atrocious it's kind of like they've bought the rights to hellraiser and they have no idea whatsoever well, yeah, what to do with it for years they have been releasing these sequels just to keep those rights yeah you know it's until now obviously where uh it's now been transferred to someone else who's made something that could actually be good the list, the last one, How is a Judgment, was literally released so they could keep those rights for a few more years. It's it's ridiculous. I just, I mean, Clive Barker's still with us. Get him to write something. Yeah. It's almost really, if I'm being honest, the kind of franchise that doesn't lead itself to be a franchise. Mm. Like the original Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2... They work. Yeah. But you're kind of just going over the same ground. Mm -hmm. Unless you really go left field, which is what these sequels do. But they've gone so far out there that it's not a Hellraiser film. And also not very good. Because the Hellraiser parts are shoehorned in. I mean, if this was just a Twin Peaks copy and paste, mm. it would have been interesting. Yeah. This whole... Uh, CSI. CSI bullshit being shoehorned in just makes it unwatchable. It really is. It's not even like, it's not even camp. It's just boring. It's so basic and so boring. The I understand that the mumbling really didn't help me. No. It really didn't. 
Um, Because I really struggled to keep up. Partly due to lack of interest, if I'm being honest. But also the mumbling. A lot of the dialogue I missed. Yeah, I, 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 I don't hate this one. I really don't mind it. It's just, I like how weird it is. Um, even if it is a little convoluted. Um, it's not necessarily good by any means, but when you've seen all of these shitty sequels, this is genuinely the best of, uh, of a bad bunch. So it's all downhill from here. I wouldn't be inclined to say, you know, on a random Saturday night, Gary, let's fire up the old Hellraiser Inferno Blu-ray. <laughs> So I could live contently knowing this is the last time I've watched this film. Yeah, no, I've no interest in ever watching it again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, let's get to the awards. Biggest Queen, it's uh, two people. It's the Cheeky Girls Cenobites. It is the Cheeky Girls Cenobites. They didn't do much, but what they did, they served. They did. Biggest gasp, I've got Pinhead's awful CGI transformation. <laughs> yeah. Especially means the rest of the film, and this actually, I swear I've said this last few episodes, the rest of the film has some really decent practical effects, so mm. why are you randomly using this fucking horrendous CGI? Yeah. Um, my biggest gasp was when uh, his head, whatever his name is, Joseph's head was torn in two, and I thought it was the ending of the film, but then it wasn't. <laughs> Best dialogue, uh, I've got Welcome to How from Pinhead. Welcome it to was, Hell. It was a stretch. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Best dialogue was, Daddy, are you home yet? <laughs> As he's standing right in front of her at home. Uh, and that's camp. I've got the two cowboys randomly kicking the shit out of Joseph. Yeah. I put Karen McCluskey getting shot with a shotgun. <laughs> flying through the air. Ratings, I give it five aggressive Twin Peaks Cowboys out of ten. I give it two cheeky girls out of ten. <laughs> uh, masterpiece, trash to be trash or basic. I've got basic. 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 Boring. Because as, as weird as it is, as I mentioned, I enjoyed it for how weird it is. It's still a basic kind of weird. They're still not going all out there. I mean, if you've read anything by Clive Barker, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't hold back. You know, there's there's no limits for him. His stuff is fucking weird. And if you're basing something off Clive Barker's work, then just go all out. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I think there's a tendency to think that um, sort of surrealist or surrealism uh, and David Lynch style of filmmaking is easy to do because you just make shit up as you go along. Yeah. Um, that is not the case. That is not no. how it is. You know, it takes a great deal of talent to do what David Lynch mm -hmm. does. Not everyone can. It may seem like everyone can do that. Oh, just, you know, throw in this, throw in that. Uh, we'll say it's abstract. It's surreal. Mm -hmm. It's inspired by David Lynch. Um, people will eat that shit up. They don't. Because no. there is something to it more than just throwing shit out there. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where this film fails for me. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to watch it by any chance, uh, it's available on DVD, American Blu-ray and Video On Demand. Uh, American Blu-ray has part of a collection with some of the other shitty sequels. 
Yeah, four on one disc, four which on I didn't think was possible. Uh, and if but you I suppose if you have no subtitles, no extras, you can yeah. fit four films on one disc. It's true. If you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out The Midnight Meat Train, a much better murder mystery Clive Barker film. If you enjoyed this, then I say check out Seven, because yeah, it's yeah. a far, 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 far superior film that this film was kind of trying to mm-hmm. be. So next up we have Hellraiser Hellseeker. Hellseeker. <laughs> Hellseeker. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, 2002, this was released. Just two years later. Oh. Yeah. Inferno must have been a great success. It must have been. So they did the same thing over again. Yeah, directed by Rick Bota, who unfortunately also directed Hellraiser Deader and Hellworld. Hellworld? Which one's that? The Henry Cavill internet one. Oh. At least there's some camp With value. With Doug Bradley? Yeah, at least oh, some, okay. that's his last one. There's some camp value to be found. Um, Love Me, Happy Face Killer, Damaged, Secret Summer, Mr. Right, W-R-I-T-E. Secret Summer, shh. Episodes of LA Doctors, Supernatural, The Vampire Diaries, Harper's Island, Bitten, Beyond, etc. Cinematographer for Blood Fist Free, Forced to Fight. Wow. Desperate Rescue, The Kathy Mahone Story. Nice. The Tales from the Crypts TV series and Demon Knight. Barb Wire, House on Haunted Hill remake. Wow. And Valentine, as well as many more. Bloody hell. Previous star of the podcast there. Yeah. Written by Carl V. Dupre, who uh, wrote Detroit Rock City. I feel like that's a future podcast film. I think so. The Prophecy Free, Broke Even, Strange Frequency, Incubus, Bone Chillers TV series. Uh, he was the assistant editor on Blood Fist 4, Die Tryin. Oh, is that Skin- where they met? <laughs> Skinner, uh, The Stoned Age. The Stoned Age, literally. Uh, the Chase, Leprechaun 2. Barb- the Chase, the, yeah. the game show. <laughs> Not quite. Barb Wire. Oh, God. Evita. Wow. Mimic, Scream 2, and many more. Bloody hell. Co-written by Tim Day, who... Uh, Wrote How Razor Deader and an episode of Seattle Grace, Message of Hope. And he was in the art department for Poison Ivy. What do you think he made? Um, the swing. The swing. The, did he make the swing? He genuinely made the swing. <laughs> he made the swing. Um, <laughs> and of course, based on characters by Clive Barker. Uh, Clive Barker viewed a work imprint uh, of this film before its release. And according to the director... Barker was complimentary towards the feature, but suggested that he insert more grotesque imagery. I think Rick Bota's a liar. I think so. Uh, budget, $3 million. This is a higher budget than the Fucking last one. Fucking hell. Yeah. Inferno must have really done well. And straight to video. Of course. So, you know, if you're uh, in Blockbuster on a Friday night in 2002, it's a good chance you would have watched this. Absolutely. Go on now, let's talk about it. Talk about who we know. Oh, hey, I know you. Um, Dean Winters. Dean Winters. Plays Trevor. Yeah. Star of John Wick. Yeah. Sex in the City. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Carrie's fuck buddy that uh-huh. she may be catching feelings for in a season two episode. You never know, he might come back in and just like that. He might do, yeah. Uh, Rough Night. Do you remember when we randomly watched that at the cinema? It was actually surprisingly good. 
No. The Scarlett Johansson film where they accidentally oh, killed a guy. Oh, yeah. P.S. I love yeah, you. After, after Bridesmaids. There was yeah. just like loads of Bridesmaids yeah. films. 30 Rock, Law and Order, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, American Gods, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Palmer, Girls 5 Ever, etc, etc. Girls 5 Ever. I feel yeah, like we need to watch that. He's making his way through these uh, shows, isn't he? He is. Um, Queen, Returning Queen, Ashley Lawrence... Uh, is back as Kirsty, of course, from Hellraiser 1 and 2, the Slipknot snuff music video, ER, Creep Show TV series, Hercules, the legend, the legend continues. No, no, the legendary journeys, not the legend continues. <laughs> the legend continues. That's Titanic, you weirdo. Uh, Mikey, <laughs> suddenly continues. Susan, not seeking, uh, suddenly Hal seeking Susan. Would have been a great episode name if we were just talking about this film only. Um, Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. <laughs> she must have acted in the uh, recreations in that. A Murder of Crows, Mystery Woman, Lurking Fear, etc., etc. Um, Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. I think she was in a really late episode. Was she not in an episode of Murder, she wrote? No, I don't think so. Wow. Um, some of my favourite trivia ever. Dimension Films placed the cast and crew under a gag order, hindering Rick Boater's opportunity to promote the film when Fangoria magazine attempted to do a cover story on the film. Star Ashley Lawrence, however, broke the gag order to speak about the film, claiming that she'd only been paid enough money to make a payment towards a new fridge. <laughs> this, I, this, this... I swear it was... A really early conversation in our relationship where you were so pleased to tell me that fact. It's, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's terrible that she was only paid that much money. Exactly. She, didn't, she couldn't pay for the whole fucking fridge. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure whenever she looks at her fridge now, all she can think of is uh, this film. Hey, that fridge has lasted 20 years. She got her fucking money's worth. <laughs> This, this is why women get it tough in the film industry. This is it's disgusting. It is. Um, we'll you think it. how much Doug Bradley was fucking paid to be in these films? He must have been paid way more than Ashley Lawrence. Probably. It's it's highly likely. Um, we'll get into Ashley Lawrence and um, how much she had to do to earn that money. <laughs> When we get into the plot. She's a bored and fucking pinhead. Um, Rachel Haywood plays Alison. She was in Harsh Realm, Andromeda, uh, Wonder, Mutant X, to Turner and Hooch, the TV series, Supernatural, The Buddy Games, A Firehouse Christmas, Hearts of Christmas, Jingle All The Way 2, <gasps> The Mrs. Claus. Oh, which one? So, not the Angela Lansbury ah, one. Uh, and one. many more. I love how many films we cover contain the stars of the Hallmark Christmas films. Exactly. And we, we need to start watching more of those Hallmark Christmas films. Like Sarah... Right now, in September. <laughs> Sarah Jane Redmond plays Gwen. She was in Siren, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, iZombie, The 100, A Royal Runaway Romance, <laughs> My Best Friend's Bouquet, uh, Chillin' Adventures of Sabrina, Smallville, Disturbing Behaviour, and more. Um, the filmmakers actually weren't sure if Ashley Lawrence was going to reprise her role as Kirsty. I, I don't know why they thought she wouldn't. Um, but Sarah Jane Redmond was originally playing that role. She was originally Kirsty coming back. 
but when Lawrence did commit to the film, the filmmakers were so impressed that they uh, wrote her in as Gwen. Yeah, uh, I think that would have worked. She looks like she could play Kirsty. Yeah. You agree? Yeah, and you can tell her other character was just randomly fucking inserted uh, in there. Yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> it, it it doesn't bode well for the filmmaking when they can just randomly insert a um, character yeah. into the film. Uh-huh. Anyway, it's now time, sadly, for our second and final feature presentation. Welcome to the worst nightmare of all, reality. Which do you find more exhilarating? It's getting hot in here. The pleasure. It's perfect. I prefer pain. Well, what do you think? start with a quote uh, that says there is no greater sorrow than to recall happiness in times of misery from Dante Ilagheri Divina Commedia Divina Divina de Campo um, Infer- from Inferno um, what are you doing? this doesn't need to be there it's yeah I suppose it, it makes sense there is no greater sorrow than to recall happiness in times of misery yeah I don't know I suppose it works for the film because he does remember happier times throughout briefly. the film briefly. Um, but I think it is just trying to make yourself sound more clever yeah. than you are. Yeah, make no mistake, this film makes Inferno look like a masterpiece. This is fucking dreadful. Really oh, I is. suppose, yeah, Dante's Inferno is that a reference to the previous film as well? Oh, please. Oh, do you think but that's this is a why it was called Inferno? Maybe. This is a rehash of uh, Inferno. Yeah, essentially. This, it, it really essentially. is. It, it's it's the same film. Follows the same plot. Yeah. After some terrible opening credits with the awful soundtrack over the Lament configuration, I swear it's the exact same opening credits as Harry's Inferno. Might be. Um, Trevor Gooden and his wife, Kirsty Cotton Gooden, Ooh. they went for a double barrel. Uh, they're having a snog whilst driving, which unsurprisingly causes them to crash and plunge into a river nearby. Yeah, so they kiss, which is what ends up with them driving into the river. But as we start the film, they're two grown-ass people tickling each other yeah. whilst driving. Uh-huh. Um, he misses seeing her laugh, as does she. Yeah. And there we go. Yeah, he survives the accident whilst <laughs> uh, Kirsty allegedly drowns. Allegedly. It does make me laugh when obviously things are filmed in a swimming pool and not the actual river. Yeah. I mean, if it was in the UK, you'd have trolleys and <laughs> nappies and shit in the background. <laughs> but it's just the cleanest water mm-hmm. anyone's ever drowned in. How Seeker, this may not surprise you, was. Uh, confirmed this time around mm-hmm. to or- originally have been a non-Hellraiser related horror script turned by Dimension. Okay. So, whereas it's up in the air about Inferno, there's there's no hide in this one. Uh, to save money on writing a completely original Hellraiser story, the script was quickly edited to insert the Cenobites and references to Kirsty's past with them. 
a scene written specifically to try and bring the largely unrelated plot in line with the canon of the first two films was subsequently cut but is available on a DVD as a special feature. Ooh. If anyone wants to check that out. Lovely. One month later, uh, Trevor dramatically wakes up in hospital uh, and is given some medication which causes him to wake up whilst receiving some very detailed brain surgery. Now, I was shocked by this scene because I thought, when, when this happened, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I misremembered this. Maybe this is a good film because it looks fucking disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really well made, um, this scene. And it kind of sets you up for the rest of the film. You think, oh, okay, it's going to be like this. It's going to be weird and really graphically gory. And, yeah. Um, the sound effects are disgusting when it's on the skull, uh, the, the drill. Um, but yeah, no such luck. No. Um, we quickly realise... And you can tell this was used in all the advertising, all everything. Yeah, yeah. He soon realises that his wife's missing. Um, but because of a head injury, his memory is uncertain and he cannot distinguish between fantasy and reality. Something this film does not let us forget. No. Um, um, something the film did forget is to tell us this was a month later. Yes, yeah. Seemingly, we only found out via Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, Dr. Alliston is the first face he sees, though. She is. And she's a little flirty with him, uh -huh. I thought. Yeah, she's not the only one. Um, no. The guy playing Trevor is horrendous. Seriously, the entire cast in this film do such a terrible job. But he's he's by far the worst. It's not great. He always girls. looks like he's trying to hold back his laughter the entire time. Yeah. Um. And but somehow he, he's uh, he's a ladies' man. He cannot get rid of women. Not They're... a single woman crosses his path and doesn't want to shag him. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's Michael. It's like Michael Flatley in Blackbird. <laughs> um. Um. Do you know who else? Uh. Looks like they're trying not to laugh. Cheery Detective Lang. Detective Lang. He literally... Trevor's like, where's Kirsty? Where's my wife? And Detective Lang literally turns turns up from behind the hospital curtain. He's like, well, that's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> what? Where he do you just, come from? The whole thing, he looks like he's trying not to laugh. He looks like yeah. he's having a jolly old time. Yeah, he literally shows up and he's like, okay, Trevor, so this is what's happening. So, uh, Hellraiser House Secret is a film about you. Uh, you've been in an accident... And you're going to start seeing hallucinations. Now, he literally gives him the plot of the film. Yeah, which is weird because this is a month later. Yeah. So, if the film had explained that from the get-go, we would know that he has amnesia. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't remember anything past the point of the accident. Yeah. Yeah? But he doesn't explain that. No. Um... So, it's just really confusing. And this cheery detective Lang, he did make me laugh. Um, he offers Trevor a, a lift back home, mm -hmm. but Trevor decides to get the bus home instead. Now, in a series of events, we're going to see time and time again. Time and time again. We see him on the bus loads, but nothing ever ha actually happens on the bus. Um, he just gets annoyed of a guy playing music yeah. out loud. Um, it's not the UK, though, so he's not playing H2O. No. Uh, or N-dubs. H2O. <laughs> he's not playing any N-dubs on there, um, so it's not the UK. No, he's a large, tattooed and pierced man who's playing rock and or roll music. <laughs> Barely. Heavy metal. Um, he returns home because fuck all happens on the bus apart from he goes... The... Well, I'd say Karen, but it is obnoxious when people play their music it really loud. Um, he returns home and reminisces about getting saucy <laughs> with uh, Kirsty. Uh, he's sat on his big chair turns mm -hmm. off the light 
And I'm assuming, because we fade to black, I'm assuming he's making a withdrawal from the wank bank. To a framed picture of him <laughs> and her having a smile. He's reminiscing about her in bed. <laughs> Obviously, Ashley Lawrence isn't going to get the goods out. Well, it's true. For true. a part payment for a fridge. We can assume that, because it's more exciting than any cast that happens in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he gives himself a treat, reminiscing about the past. Yeah, he goes to work the next day and everyone looks at him like he's a piece of shit. Um, because there is no greater <laughs> sorrow than re- to recall happiness in times of misery. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we meet his colleague. He's having a sad wank. We meet his uh, annoying <laughs> crying, colleague. Crying into a pillow as he gives himself a treat. Um, we meet his annoying colleague, Brett, who wants to know, have you got a piece of ass last night? Mm. Um, and it's he... been a month and she's still missing. <laughs> he finds a note saying, all problems solved, which causes him to have, you guessed it, a flashback. It, like the last film, every time when the engineer is mentioned, if you took a drink, if you take a drink every single time, this man gets on a bus, has a flashback, experiences something weird happening, has sex, has a conversation with either of the two detectives, you will, you might get alcohol poisoning and die, so please don't take our advice. <laughs> um, like, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just a constant um, barrage of th- this is happening, someone's killed. Oh no, they're not. This has happened. Oh no, it's a hallucination. Oh no, it's a dream. Oh no, it's a flashback. So nothing actually, in terms of the time frame of the film, nothing actually really kind of happens. No. So people are murdered, but we never actually see the fucking murders take place. Really? No. Do we? No. We only see the aftermath yeah. and hallucinations that... Um, is his name Trevor? Or was that the first film? Trevor. Trevor has about Cenobites. It's genuinely, it might be the most repetitive film I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. It's flashback, this first one. He's exploring an abandoned building where people are working. A lady is sitting alone wearing someone's boobs that have been cut off. Um, For no reason. What what is this? No reason. Wrong franchise. This isn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Um, Doug Bradley appears playing what I assume to be the homeless man from the first two films. Uh, with his goatee and the guy who turns into a, a uh, dragon at the end of the first film. Yeah. What he's given, what he's giving, mm-hmm. excuse me, is the Undertaker. Yeah. From WWE. So were those cowboys yeah, from the other film. He's given classic 90s Undertaker. Now, you won't remember this, but um, I think it was SummerSlam 94... Uh, it was Undertaker versus Undertaker, or the Underfaker, and this is Doug Bradley. And I didn't realise it was Doug Bradley until the very end of the film, <laughs> till it was the big reveal that it was him. This is Doug Bradley as the Underfaker, <laughs> and it's hilarious. <laughs> and this is nineties Undertaker. A question: Where was the address on that business card? But nowhere. There wasn't one. <laughs> So I don't know how he's turned up at this well, place. Where's the flashback? Without an address. It's a flashback to when he last saw the note. Yeah, but the note still didn't have an yeah, address no, still on. No. Um, but yeah, he tells him he could see into his soul. And then Brett pops up back in uh, present day. And he's like, 60% of all headaches are caused by low blood sugar. Why don't you grab yourself a donut? Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to the vending machine. <laughs> and uh, his boss, Gwen... But after he up. sees an arm, an arm shoots up at him. Oh, does it, well, in the vending machine. Yeah. Oh. Um, Gwen turns up 
and uh, apparently something has been going on between them in the past, and she would like to continue that, <laughs> despite his wife being missing for a month. Um, and she tries to get it on with him. Yeah, see anything you like? Well, do you? <laughs> He's struggling to remember, has kind of a flashback to them getting it on. Of but, course. But then refuses her... Um, what's it called? Just her, refuses advances. Her, her advances thank you that's the word it refuses her advances um the first of many times he's called to the police station <laughs> by detective lang we get more flashbacks to the car crash <laughs> apparently kirsty was sad and not happy at the time mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't even know what's said at the police station. I don't. We find out that she was trapped care. inside the car from his flashbacks. But Lang says that Kirsty found a way out. Yeah, we knew that. Yeah, that's why she's gone missing. He goes home because um, we haven't seen this sort of event before. He goes home, spots a mysterious-looking man near his home, uh, and then the guy appears in an apartment over the road, which makes Trevor start throwing up water awkwardly shaking and asking himself what's happening before a CGI creature leaves his it's mouth. Eel. Yeah, it leaves his mouth and he wakes up. What? Why is that in there? <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. So, oh wait, it was just an hallucination. Rachel from the X Factor shows up the um, at his door. Hi, it's Rachel. It's his neighbour, Tawny. His, his neighbour with the... <laughs> he shows up to uh, show him that she's got a new belly tattoo that he supposedly asked her to get, and then she just leaves. <laughs> yeah. Um, he watches an old home video where he gives Kirsty the lament, <laughs> con the lament configuration as a gift. <laughs> Gwen turns up at the apartment for a shag, and uh, she looks just like Bethany Frankel. I literally have my notes for this scene. I just got here... I really wish people would just leave this guy the fuck alone yeah. so we can get on with the fucking plot. Exactly. Um, they set up a camera because apparently that's what they did in the past. Um, and I think she has a fetish for being filmed mm -hmm. as she was kind of getting off on the CCTV camera in front of the vending machine yeah. earlier. Um, he refuses her advances again and he can kiss his promotion goodbye. <laughs> As he sends her packing. Yeah. The camera's still rolling though. And it shows the masked dude. Cenobite. Killing Gwen with a plastic bag over the head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Cenobites in this look fucking awful. Um, yeah it's not great girls. Really they put no effort into it. You can tell it was last minute. They put no effort into him whatsoever. Oh, no. He wakes up at work. He wakes up at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Brett... It's like, oh, here, why don't you get some acupuncture? Like, Brett is just showing up at random points to push the plot forward. Like, okay, this is where you need to go next. Here you go. Why don't you, why don't you have a donut? Why don't you get some Fucking acupuncture? bizarre series of events. He goes to see this acupuncture therapist straight away. Begins the acupuncture. She gives him a mirror to see into his soul, um, which caused him to have another flashback. Uh, this time, he's speaking to the random guy with the goatee, Doug Bradley, um, from the abandoned building, where he gives him the lament configuration, which looks like, like it, a round. It, yeah, version. it looks like it's a pokeball at first, and then yeah. it transforms into it. Pinhead, I shit you not, 
something that the director was like, nah, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't do this. This doesn't this doesn't really work. Doug Bradley was like, no, fuck yeah, we're doing this. He appears through an acupuncture chart on the wall. He does. It's a great hilarity. He takes a pin out of his head and shoves it through the back of Trevor's neck and says, which do you find more exhilarating, Trevor? Pain or pleasure? Personally, I prefer pain. Ooh, 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 Fun ooh. fact. Doug... Merry Christmas. Doug... <laughs> Why are you doing a Santa impression? Well, that's what it sounds like. Doug Bradley personally edited Pinhead's dialogue, uh, giving him more lines than originally scripted. I like your thinking there, Doug Bradley. Uh, trying to write yourself more lines, but it's it, this the best you could do. <laughs> he has so many quotable lines from the first two, and this is the best he can do. Um... Detective Givens calls Trevor because it was a dream, by the way. Detective Givens calls Trevor to the station, oh. back to the police station, and explains that Kirsty's father and Uncle Frank left behind a big inheritance after they died through mysterious circumstances, and now Trevor is the prime suspect in a homicide case for Kirsty. Yes. Then Julia walks through the door oh, and says, "Half of that." Oh, sorry. Imagine. Belly tattoo girl appears at Trevor's apartment. Takes her shorts off and kicks them up into the air. She does. <laughs> she catches them uh, and requests for Trevor, Trevor to tie her up. But because this film just loves repeating itself, they start having sex. And she turns into a terrible looking Cenobite who places a device onto Trevor's mouth and pushes a big pole through it. Yes. Did you see the neighbour across the way? No. Taking her top off at the window? No. Whilst he's watching her. Because every, oh, I did. every I did. single I did. woman in this film is desperate to very get horny. with Trevor, um, no matter what. Yeah, but unfortunately it's not the death of Trevor when he gets a pole through the mouth because he wakes up and it was another dream, another fucking dream. That scene does something, uh, Tawny uh, does something that I hate. Kicks her shorts films. up into the air and catches her. No, I love that. That was, that was queen <laughs> behaviour. What's not queen behaviour is when she gets a fully clothed rub for about three seconds and gives the most passionate of orgasm noises. <laughs> it only happens in movies. Now, I'm, I'm not an expert when it comes to the ladies, but, you know, I'm also not thick. And I know that a clothed rub for about three seconds <laughs> does not an orgasm make. It's true. It's true. I, I don't think that's how it works. I hate it. It drives me absolutely insane. Pinhead uh, appears in uh, his bathroom mirror. Oh, he finds um, Belly Tattoo's corpse in his living room. Pinhead then appears in his bathroom mirror and says, all problems solved. Disappears. So does the blood in Trevor's sink and Belly Tattoo's corpse. So he goes to her apartment and she's alive and doesn't know who he is. Yeah, she's got a boyfriend and he's absolutely fuming. Mm. He's like, do you know who I am? He said, Ronnie Pickering. <laughs> Ronnie Pickering. Ronnie Pickering. Um, no, he doesn't. Uh, the boyfriend looks a, a little out. I, I thought it was maybe he's, a cameo or something. Uh, I didn't put them together. He's punching, isn't he? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. He looks like he lives in his parents' basement. He, he looks like someone who would be typecast as, as a paedophile. Um, right, okay. A, gr a grotesque That's character. a little ash. Well, you know what I mean. It's a little like, The paedophile from Saw 4 that wears the vest. Like, he kinda looks I like just thought he looked like he streamed Minecraft video, but okay. Exactly. Um, he gets a call to... 
Trevor gets a call to go to the police station. He certainly does. <laughs> he sees a random guy making the lament configuration out of paper, has a flashback to the abandoned building, and wakes up. It happens again. It's the fucking same <laughs> shit over and over. This time he's learnt that Gwen has been murdered. Yeah? And that's it. This is so much film dedicated to tiny little snippets of plot. <laughs> Fucking pissing me off. Changing up a bit, he goes to see Dr. Allison. Um, just for her to tell him that everything would be okay. And just because they don't want to stray too far away from what the film's going for, it has flashbacks of Kirsty doing a camp model-like walk towards the camera. This is given... Giving? Why am I struggling with the word giving today? Uh, this is giving Natalie Portman <laughs> advertisements for Miss Dior. She's giving Misty Dior blooming bouquet. Yeah. She is strutting to what she is making that eye contact with the audience. She is working it. She is. And I'm living for it. It's the best part of the film. And nothing else is comparable. I was quite surprised. A few people are following on Letterboxd, looking at their reviews of this film. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Ashley Lawrence looks so fit in this film. Oh, Ashley Lawrence is sexy. And then I tried to find the uh, Fridge interview as well. I, I did find one interview and I checked the comments to see if it was the right one. And all it is, is just like older men all commenting like, oh, phew, fucking Ashley Lawrence is a bit of all right. Oh, cracking pair on her. Oh, I love Ashley Lawrence. Well fit. Like, oh, okay. Sex symbol, Ashley Lawrence. She's a beautiful woman. Did you not know? I, I didn't know. No. I'm... Why are you gagging? She brings it to you every She ball. does. She does. I love her Instagram where she's constantly trying to recapture that how raise her energy. Um, she she is the Wendy James of the film industry. That's so. Do your research if you don't know what I'm talking about. I was going to say, <laughs> you've had to bring up like five different Google searches in one sentence. Best kind of worms you'll ever open in your life. Uh, Trevor goes to work, surprisingly. Yeah. Tells Brett he thinks he killed Kirsty. So he Kirsty. goes to work or did he just wake up at work? No, this time he goes to work. Wow. Tells Brett that he thinks he killed Kirsty. And then finds Detective Lang sitting at his desk smiling at him. <laughs> Brett talks to Trevor in the work kitchen where he tells Trevor he's quitting because uh, things are just too weird. He throws a dart into the dartboard which causes Trevor to have multiple flashbacks and punch a glass. Now, during this scene, a man walks in and interrupts their conversation uh, and gets the lift. Nothing of note there, surely. Wow. The uncredited co-worker who interrupts this scene was referred to by director Rick Bota as a $10,000 extra. Labour laws of British Columbia forbade directors from directing, instructing non-speaking extras. All orders had to be conveyed through the assistant director. And after Bota told the man to play the scene differently, the man was due a few thousand dollars in compensation. $10,000 for this fucking extra. That's probably more money than fucking than Nash Lawrence got. Yeah, probably. That's such a strange law. I'm not I'm not sure I, the, the reasons behind that. That guy blatantly read upon that, read <laughs> upon his contract <laughs> before it. that scene, walked yeah. in, deliberately fucked it up so yeah. the director had to tell him to do something different. Like, That's it. $10,000 in my pocket. He just walked in, let one rip. <laughs> And like just like just did a oh, slut drop. Not what you wanted me to do. I'm they sorry. threw something at one of the other actors. It's like, it's 
Like, oh, wait, you're asking me to do something different. But why is well, the second unit director allowed, but the director director is not allowed? It's a very strange law. I'm not sure how It is works. a weird one. There must be a reason behind it, but I, I can't be bothered looking for it. Either way, he's the best actor in the film. Uh, Trevor goes for more acupuncture when... <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my mind reading this shit out. I feel like I'm literally going over the same notes. The therapist climbs on top of him, gets a bit of that dick. Ooh. Clothed, of course. Yeah. She then replicates basic instinct and stabs him with an ice pick. And he's taken away in an ambulance where the paramedics inform him he was not getting on with a therapist. No. In fact, he was found passed out on the fucking bus. Yes. Because, yes, he was on the bus before that. Yeah. <laughs> then at the hospital, we get an Allison, Dr. Allison doesn't exist reveal. Yeah. Um, I've got in my notes, I've literally stopped caring now. <laughs> We then get more flashbacks on the bus home. <laughs> flashbacks of him on his way to see The Undertaker again, but finds Pinhead instead. Yeah, in a puddle. In a puddle. Uh, Pinhead says you can't run from your past and insinuates that um, it's Kirsty he's after. He says... Because Kirsty can't run from her past. Well, he tells him that the killer... Of Kirsty and all the other random people is amongst them. So it's either him or Pinhead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like... But of course it's fucking Trevor. Like, seriously. You didn't have a genius to work that out. Yeah. Um, but the insinuation that Pinhead is back to get Kirsty, mm -hmm. And with Ashley Lawrence willing to make a return to the Hellraiser franchise. Why the fuck... Am I watching a film <laughs> centred around a man repeating itself over and over and over? An absolute criminal misuse of Ashley Lawrence. It's criminal. You know, she is a legacy, legacy character? Yeah. Is that wanky to say? No, 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 it's true. She's a legacy yeah. character. She's part of the Harry's cinematic universe. Yeah. She was in the original and the second one. You know, okay, you have this script. And I I understand, you know, that the script wasn't for a Hellraiser thing. And it was by chance that Ashley Lawrence returned it. Yada, 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 yada. Make some revisions to it. Make it more centred on Kirsty. Yeah. You know, because she is the most interesting character. When you watch the film, she's not even close to the most interesting character. She's got fuck all to do. Yeah. She's the flashback queen. <laughs> she's all she's doing is posing. Slaying, looking beautiful. Or giggling. That's all she does. <laughs> Giggle or pose. And it's complete waste. Yeah. Complete waste. But at least she could afford a new fridge. Well, well not even the whole fridge. Not even the whole fridge. But at least she could afford parts of she's, water. You know. She, she, she should be able to fill the fridge with some food as well. <laughs> But surely Ashley Lawrence <laughs> didn't have that much going on. You know, you know, you know. I like Ashley Lawrence in the Hellraiser films, um, but surely she didn't have that much going on in two thousand and two that she couldn't commit to a whole film. Yeah, but let, let's face it. This, uh, I, I don't think the people making this film wanted it to be about a woman. Uh, I feel like literally the the entire. Let's, and let's also not forget this wasn't supposed to be a Hellraiser film. No. But so why, why they just wrote they her miniature swap, parts? Why couldn't they swap the Kirsty 
and the um whatever his name part he's the fucking main character and I yeah Trevor. his name yeah. Trevor. Why couldn't they swap that? Make mm-hmm. a few revisions, you know, and go through the same process. Hopefully, we're not all the repeating mm-hmm. stuff, or that every woman wanted to get it on with uh, Kirsty thing. I mean, I'm but then for that. just make a few revisions and have a similar plot mm-hmm. around Kirsty. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you would have to have too many clear references to the first two films. Suppose maybe maybe because. You know, her dad and Frank were just mentioned in passing. Yeah. No mention of Queen Julia. No. You know, so it's just a really wasted opportunity. It, is. it really is. Yeah. Um, Brett shows up at the building and points a gun at Trevor. Brett tells him tonight was supposed to be the night that it got away with the money from their plan to kill Kirsty together before shooting himself. Uh, and Trevor desperately tries to show some emotion and fails. Yeah. He then goes to the acupuncture studio and finds the therapist dead. Yeah. A Cenobite follows him there. Detective Lang and some more cops find him holding the knife that was in the therapist's head. Yeah, so the uh, ice pick. The ice pick, yeah. Yeah. Trevor is taken to the police station where all sorts of weird shit's going down um, that they've just randomly inserted. And taken to the basement by Detective Lang in order to identify a body. There, in a bizarre series of events, it's revealed that Givens and Lang are actually a single monstrous creature with two different heads. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And the CGI looks shit. It's horrific. It it's does horrific. look really bad. We've already had two-headed cops in Bloodline. You didn't need to do it again. It's yeah. Fine. Trevor runs away from them and enters a morgue. Uh, just as he's about to uncover a dead body on an operating table, that cheeky bitch Pinhead appears to serve the tea... Uh, attaches some chains to Trevor from the ground and reveals the truth. And he says the words we've all been waiting to hear this entire time. It seems you have now reached the end of your journey. Thank fuck. In reality, Kirsty is still alive. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. So, okay, Trevor, sit back, bitch. I I have got some goss for you. You cheated on your wife with many other women. Tried to get rid of our Queen Kirsty by making her reopen that stupid little box. She did. And before being taken away forever, she tried to make one last deal with me. And even though I told her in the first two films, bitch, I ain't having no more of your deals. I am back to tell her, yes, I'll have one more offer from you. And if, as long as you give me five souls in exchange for yours, then uh, we've got a deal. So she killed your mistresses. She killed Brett. And she was, and you were conspiring to kill her with Brett. So you kind of deserved all of this. Uh, and then he says... That's quite fortunate for Kirsty. I know, yeah. Five very clear reasons to uh, give them souls. Yeah, and he's like, welcome to the worst nightmare of all, bitch. Reality. And yes, Doug Bradley does deliver that entire monologue as camp as that. I'm, I'm getting that tattooed on me. Welcome to the worst nightmare of all, Reality. <laughs> I'm not sure um, what it means in the context of this film. No. Though. I do love how Pinhead literally I shows suppose it up. it does make sense. Sorry. Um, it does. It does make sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. It, it, Pinhead literally shows up in all of these sequels after Bloodline just to tell a character at the end the entire story. Yeah. That, that's literally all he does. It, it's ridiculous. It's, it's literally... The easiest like, payday. For here's how it really went. Yeah. What's that reference to? It's in the film. It's like 
This is how it Maybe. Really went. It's like the flashbacks in Saw that reveal everything that's been going on, except it doesn't go that fast. Like, we have to listen to it for ages. Yeah. Um, Trevor is in shock by the revelation. He is gagged. Dun, dun, dun. Once the chains disappear, he takes the covers off the body on the operating, operating table, believing it to be Kirsty, but it's not. It's him. It's him. He's the fifth soul. And this entire time, he's been in Hal, living in Limbo. Yeah. So have we. So have we. So have we whilst watching it. Trying to rediscover his past and piece his life back together with his punishment um, for his disloyalty to his wife and inability to accept who he truly was. That's what he's been doing this whole time. It seems uh, that Kirsty has pinned all of the murders on Trevor and shot Trevor through the head whilst driving, leading him to crash the car into the river and making his death appear as a suicide. <gasps> well... I mean, are we on Kirsty's side? Good for her, yeah. Good for her. What about the three women? They were, you know, did they, well. I suppose they. Well, they were killed for a terrible taste in men. Yeah, probably. I suppose Tawny would have known that he was married. I would suppose his boss would have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for the acupuncturist. Okay, did you get down what Doctor Allison said here? Because I completely forgot to note it down. She says. <laughs> I may look like Jessica Lang in Tootsie, <laughs> but I am not giving an Oscar-winning performance. No, I've absolutely no. Idea. Oh, she, she when was, she she was, was looking saying, at his face and yeah, she was talking to him. So the idea is that Doctor Allison, within his limbo uh, world, was a doctor, but in real life, reality, the worst nightmare of all. <laughs> It's she's a police officer who was comforting him and giving him, I don't know, um, good words to send him on his way. Apparently, apparently oh, yeah, this this house. Oh, it's all right, Trevor. It's all right. You're going now, love. You're all right, darling. And it's like, yeah, this helps them. This helps them when they die. What the fuck are you talking about, bitch? Like, when you pass <laughs> over to the other side, you know, do you need these words? And it's like, this is shoehorned in. Because you had a Dr. Allison character. <laughs> yeah, do you know, and so many films do it. It's like, like why are you supposed to be sympath? Why are we supposed to be sympathetic towards him? He's a terrible person. I suppose we're not really. So then, why it's is just she... an explanation <laughs> for the Dr. Allison character? Because Dr. Allison in his limbo land was the only person who really believed him mm -hmm. and really and didn't just see him as a piece of meat. <laughs> Um, so I suppose she has to be seen as sympathetic to him mm. in the real world. Yeah. But also, if she killed the three women he was sleeping with... Oh, okay. Yeah. So no, it's not no, Dr. Allison. he didn't. She didn't. No, Dr. She didn't. Allison no, didn't. No. Pinhead did. Yeah, yeah. But he's also... So Kirsty's talking to um, Detective Lang. Uh-huh. And saying, oh, you know, he shot himself, blah, 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 blah. Um, he killed the other people. And I'm like, yes, we saw his fingerprints. All the, all the evidence suggests he did. They have a real back and forth. I don't know if this film struggling to hit the hour and a half mark. And they just <laughs> chat some absolute shite. Um, Kirsty has given back the Lament configuration. Jeez. And the film, thankfully... Ends. She decides to serve oh, Cunt during those last few minutes where it's like, okay, good for you, girl. You fucking did what was right and you got your box back. Um, yeah, no, it's too late. It's too yeah. Late. 
This really just felt like a rehash of the previous film. But worse. But worse. It was a little more coherent. Barely. Barely. But in terms of, you know, being able to follow, I felt I found it easier to follow, but that's because it was repeating the same thing over and over. You know, if you didn't catch it the first time, (laughs) we're going to repeat the shit over and over. Uh, way too many fake out scenes. It's so much worse than I remember it being when I first watched it. It's oh my god! Genuinely, it was painful. Abysmal. It was really, really painful. The twist I felt rendered a lot of the film pointless. Yeah. So a lot of that repetitiveness I found really pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they would have made that go a little quicker, and we had a little more of the Kirsty Pinhead dynamic. I think that would have mm-hmm. been a lot of fun. And it just ultimately felt like a waste of time. The previous film was a morality tale. It was it was quite clear mm-hmm. that it was about, you know, morals and, and shit like that. And he was being punished. I get the idea that this was kind of similar. Yeah. But then, I mean, Kirsty was kind of wrong as well. Like, whose side are we on? On Kirsty, definitely. We're on Kirsty. <laughs> But we're on Kirsty's side right at the very... Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, throughout the film, yeah. both films, and what really annoyed me about both films, is that we're forced to follow a really unlikable person yeah. without anyone else mm-hmm. likable to help. You can have your main character as unlikable. You yeah, can yeah, do yeah. that. But you have to have the people mm-hmm. around him yeah. or her be more likable yeah and it just it's not the case with this because no one else was developed enough no so it was just like i really don't care about this guy's story just fucking kill him at the end and be done with it it's truly horrendous it's bottom of the barrel trash and the the worst part is it isn't even the worst how it is a sequel oh shit not even the second worst not even the first literally it, it just gets worse getting to the awards i have biggest queen Kirsty during the last few minutes. Yes, has to be Kirsty. <laughs> uh, biggest gasp. I actually have the disgustingly detailed brain surgery scene. I I agree with you on that one. I I do. Uh, also, the big reveal that Doug Bradley played the Underfaker. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe I was being stupid, but I was like, oh, I thought it was Brad Dourif. Uh, best dialogue. Of course, it's. It seems you have now reached the end of your journey because, oh my God, it, it brought me such happiness. Oh, I um, was... Pinhead and Formless, the film's nearly over. There is some good news there. Such good news. I completely agree. Uh, and that's camp. I've got uh, Belly Tattoo Girl kicking up her shorts and catching them. Yes. Um, Miss Lawrence's Miss Dior Blooming <laughs> Bouquet <laughs> advert. I thought I was top tier camp. Of ratings, I give it two Ashley Lawrence fridges out of ten. It nearly got one, but Ashley Lawrence saved it just about. I gave it two shitty Undertaker Halloween costumes out of ten. <laughs> uh, masterpiece, trash, beast, trash, or basic? I'm saying trash. Oh, um, I would say trash, but a lot of it was basic. Yeah. Um, for me. Sometimes I think basic is the bigger insult. Yeah. Um, because I just don't like that. Sorry, I take these things very personally when they're bad. Um, but no, yeah, trash, trash. Available as part of that multi-pack Blu-ray DVD and video on demand. Bargain. Uh, if you enjoy this, then you will love Memento. 
Yeah, I completely agree. There was no other choice. Yeah. Um, it has to be Memento. It's, yeah, ripped it off something terrible. The whole amnesia thing, the whole um, slightly repetitive, uh, repetitive thing, kind of. But Memento does it much better and yeah. it opens up much more. And yeah, Memento is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It's an all-time classic compared to this shit. Yeah. Uh, so that is it for this Hellraiser episode. We'll, at <laughs> some point next year, we'll be doing another one. Where we'll be discussing we? how... Well, we've got to do the whole franchise, haven't we? Uh, we'll be discussing Hellraiser... Just, I'm sorry to do this so, uh, whilst we're recording, but um, I quit. <laughs> yeah right I'm done um, maybe we'll do the, there's only four more films left to do in the franchise oh, the remake could be out by then as well so we'll try and do the four sequels close is it a together. remake is it a reboot is it a reboot. rebrand reboot. Is it, what is it reboot supposedly okay um, but yeah for the, as for the final four sequels we'll, we'll try and do them a bit closer together next year so we'll get it out of the way uh, and the next one will be Hellraiser Deader and Hellraiser Howworld uh yeah so if you're a fan of these films uh, let us know on social media we're at horrorcourt trash over on facebook and instagram and horrorcourt trash on twitter i'm dead at gaz92 on letterboxd gazmo205 on instagram and gazcruz92 on twitter i am chris barker823 on letterboxd and instagram and uh go give us a rate review and subscribe on itunes i can follow on everything else a rate on spotify buy our merch on redbubble next week double episode week and we're starting off on Tuesday with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yes. So excited to watch this film. I've been saving it for a podcast episode. Um, it's it's going to be good. I've I got a so. feeling it's so. going to be trash to piece. Or masterpiece. Maybe. 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 Uh, and finally, in the run-up to Halloween, on Friday, for Original versus Remake, we'll be discussing both versions of... The Amateurville Horror. Ooh. There are two good films from that franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. So we'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.